Hi, and welcome to the Unveiled Podcast. We discuss things, all things related to women to help us think Christianly in every area of life. I'm Sandy, and I'm here with Susie. We both have a passion to bring gospel reform to womanhood, to families, and to all of life. My background is in education and music, and Susie's training is in biblical counseling, theology, and women's ministry. We've been friends for over 20 years, and we've served together at our local church. And we've been digging into the Proverbs 31 woman, and this is our third podcast, and this one is focusing on verse 12. And this verse says, she does him good and not harm all the days of her life. And I think there's a lot of things we can dig into this verse about, and I'm looking forward to hearing your thoughts on this, Susie. The first thing that I notice when I, when I read this verse is um, all the days of her life. And just looking at that phrase, it could mean that she does her husband good even before marriage, not just once marriage happens, all the days of her life. How can a woman or a young lady or even a young girl guard her heart in order to benefit her future husband? Wow, I am actually so glad that you asked this question because what a great perspective. The um, the in, the primary intent of this verse is probably um, thinking continuous, ongoing from the time that you're married, not giving up, being persistent, steadfast, faithful, and and always just being good. But it is very true that the way that we live and act and how we prepare even before marriage has a great impact on us and on our husband when we do get married. And we might not like to admit that because we like to think about having all the freedom that we would like prior to marriage and that's really more of a worldly view on things, but we can all get into that kind of thinking, right? And that before marriage, we're individual, and what I do doesn't really impact people. But the reality is, it does impact people. And so women should be preparing for marriage far before their first date. And, you know, it probably goes without saying, but please don't get me wrong, marriage is not the mission of life. It's not as if that's the only thing. And if you don't um, find the right husband, that somehow you've missed the mark. Um, That's not the case at all. But the glory of God is our mission in everything. And marriage is a biblical design that God has put in place for several reasons. And first of all, we've talked about this before, but it doesn't hurt to go over it again. Marriage is designed to put the gospel on display, and it describes all of that in Ephesians 5. Uh, Primarily, the husband, as he loves his wife sacrificially, as Christ loved the church, he is demonstrating steadfast, faithful love. And as the wife submits to her husband and respects her husband, she is living out how the church should live, and she is living in submission and in honor and reverence to her husband, showing how the church should be towards Christ. And it's uh, a relationship that is a covenant that is designed to last forever. There is unending love and faithfulness there. And so it's a beautiful display. Marriage is a good thing. It's something that we should strive for and to strive to do to do well because 
it displays the gospel when done according to scripture. But then secondly, marriage is designed to provide companionship and assistance. In other words, it's not good to be alone. And Genesis 2.18 says that it was not good for the man to be alone. And so God created the woman. And so let's just acknowledge that marriage is a good thing. It's designed for companionship. And it's actually not a good thing. It's not part of God's original design for us to be alone. And then, of course, to be fruitful and multiply and to have children. And we see that in Genesis 1.28 and in Genesis 2.15. So these are all dynamics of marriage. So that's those are pretty important things. So we should value and strive for marriage. And of course, uh, we, we do recognize that not everybody will get married. But the very reason it hurts so much when marriage isn't uh, God's design or God's call for your life or when children are not part of your story is because it's part of God's original design. And if you're in that situation, I just want you to know that it's it's okay for you to say that it hurts and to recognize that, that this is hard. It, it's not easy. Uh, for you to be alone, either without a husband or without children. Those are blessings. And yet God still very much has a purpose and a plan for you. And your mission is still the same. The mission of God is the glory of God. And so let's keep that in mind, uh, regardless of whether we're married or not. But all of us should be acting as women, as women who are marryable, meaning that if God sends that special man to our into our lives that we will be ready for that. And um and so we want to prepare ourselves and be thinking about that and and realizing that how we act prior to marriage actually does potentially either benefit or hinder our future husband. Um And so a few things that came to mind, I actually have 16. So if you have a pen and paper in hand, you know, or quickly go grab one, there's 16 things that came to mind. I was trying to keep it shorter, but there's a lot here. Uh, First of all, and it's no particular order. We could rearrange this um, if we really wanted to be specific, but this is just kind of how it came to mind. And so first of all, loving God with your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. And that means we love him more than anything. We love him more than the desire to be married. We love him more than being affirmed by men. We love him more than anything else. We must love God. Uh, Number two, we need to obey God's commands for purity and holiness. And that means that we, we are modest even before we're married and when we're young and have our best body shapes and the most to show off, you're still called to modesty. And in sexuality, we're called to keep our lives pure and to refrain from sexual activity until we are married. Um, sexuality, sex is reserved for your husband and him alone. And the reality is, if we're careless with that now, thinking, oh, I just, you know, I want to have fun. What if I never get married? Or, you know, everybody else is doing it. You, you need to realize that if God sends you that godly man who will be your future husband, 
you will have to tell him about your infidelity. Um, I'm not saying there, every detail has to be explained, but you will have to tell him that you are not a virgin, that he's not the first one. And you need to consider, are you prepared to do that? So guard yourself. Um, you are not free to live sexually free and do whatever you want. Guard your sexuality for the day, if and when that day comes, that you're able to meet your future husband. And then thirdly, developing a servant heart. Uh, we have to be willing to serve. And there's so many w ways to serve. We, we've all grown up with parents. Hopefully, m many of us have also grown up with siblings. There are so many ways that we can serve in the home. And I really think that young people should be practicing that even prior to marriage. Because let me tell you, once you get married, there's a lot of things that you have to do for one another. <laughs> and if you haven't learned to serve in your own home, it's going to be a huge transition for you. Uh, number four, developing a submissive heart. And how do you react to authority? If you can't obey your dad, if you can't obey your boss or respect him, do you really think it'll be easy to respect and submit to your own husband? No, probably not. I, I think you need to learn that and practice that even prior to marriage. Number five, I would say develop a trusting heart. And that doesn't mean a naive heart. You want to be discerning. But learn to trust other people instead of thinking you're the only one that's capable of accomplishing the right thing. Number six, speak well of others, um, especially those in authority and in your home. How do you talk about your parents or your siblings, even in their imperfections? You're going to know their imperfections more than anybody else does. Uh, practice speaking well of them rather than complaining about them because that's good practice for how you're going to speak about your husband in the future. And then develop, number seven would be develop a forgiving heart. We all have lots of opportunities to forgive. There's going to be things that each of us has, has to forgive our parents for, has to forgive siblings for, a friend for. And if you can learn forgiveness now, you will be better ready and prepared to forgive your husband in the future. Uh, removing all bitterness. And so if people have hurt you, and they probably have, maybe there's been a friend that that betrayed you, or maybe your parents were, were too harsh or too legalistic or too authoritarian, and you're holding bitterness in your heart over that. Maybe there's even more severe things that have happened to you. Um, and it doesn't mean that you have to uh, have uh, an intimate relationship with the people that have wronged you if they haven't actually changed their behavior, but you are responsible to get rid of all bitterness. In fact, um, just before I got married, I became aware of somebody that I was feeling bitter towards. And I'm not even sure exactly how this came to mind, but I remember thinking, wow, like if, if I don't learn to forgive this person, then I'm not going to be able to forgive my husband. And I remember sharing with uh, my small group at the time that I wanted to be able to forgive this person. And trust me, okay, it doesn't always happen this way. I'm not always able to get rid of bitterness this quickly. But it was like, at that moment, the bitterness in my heart towards that person was removed. And I have nothing but respect. Well, I shouldn't say nothing but, but I have lots of respect and uh, lots of good thoughts towards this person, even to this day. And I'm just so thankful that God gave me that grace to 
to recognize the need for this and, and then the ability to, in that moment, let go of that bitterness. Such a valuable thing, such an important thing, not only for my future husband, but the Bible has a lot to say about bitterness in our own hearts and how that impacts our relationship with God. So if there's bitterness, it's, we better get rid of that. Uh, number nine, developing communication and conflict management skills. And the reality is some families are better at that than others. So if you grew up in a family that was blessed with good communication, good conflict management, praise the Lord for that. And don't take it lightly. Learn from them and continue to, to practice what you learned in your home. But if you didn't learn those things in your own home, then I'd say find people who are good at it and learn from them. Watch them. Ask them questions so that when you start your own family, you will be able to develop a family that does have good communication and conflict management skills. And number 10, have a good work ethic. Um, we're not designed to be women that just sit around the house doing nothing and waiting for our husband to bring home the paycheck. And so therefore, let's be hard workers, whether you're young or in school or uh, have your own job or whatever the case might be, you are designed to work and to enjoy it, to have a good attitude and um, to do the best that you can, to be an ethical worker. So practice that, whether it's in your home or with your schoolwork or with a job that you currently have. Practice a good work ethic. That will be a huge blessing to your husband in the future. And number 11, be a good steward of your finances. Because you're probably not thinking about it now, but if you're racking up student debt right now, you're going to pass that on to your husband when you marry him. And you have to ask yourself, like, will you be embarrassed when he finds out? Will you feel guilty? Will that delay you from being able to marry him because you feel somehow responsible to pay it off before you get married? And so that that's going to have consequences. That's going to affect your future. So I encourage the young women to be really conscious about that. These days with uh, the loans that we can easily get from the government, we can think, oh, I'll just get OSAP. It's easy. That's what everybody's doing. And, you know, I'm not trying to slam people who've done that. I myself took out OSAP. Uh, but out of my experience, I'd like to warn and encourage young people, work hard and, and try to find ways to be able to pay for your education without having to rack up all those student loans. It's, it makes it hard. Um, but if you have, then be diligent in trying to pay it off. Uh, it's not the end of the world. Just be a good steward and start today. Uh, and number 12, uh, be a steward of your emotions. If you can't control your emotions now, finding a husband and living the rest of your days with him is not going to cure your ability to be a good steward now because, um, yeah, the lovey-dovey feelings that you feel prior to marriage may not always be there every day. And so you might think that marriage is going to solve all your emotional issues. Well, let me tell you, they might just increase them. So, so learn to steward <laughs> your emotions now. Uh, number 13, have a biblical mindset of marriage and roles. And 
Don't just watch what other people have done because that might actually really deter you from marriage. So many young people, even more and more women that I'm talking to, they're afraid to get married. Even Christian women that have a good relationship with the Lord and maybe are even dating, they're afraid of marriage because of all the bad examples they've seen. And so you need to have a biblical mindset. Understand what the Bible says about marriage. Study passages like Ephesians 5 and Genesis 2 and even 1 Corinthians 7. Like know them and then submit to them. And uh, number 14 is live on mission. Live a purposeful life. Don't just sit around waiting for the day that you get married as if that's magically going to give you purpose in life. Live on mission now. Like do all that you can to live for the glory of God. Live every day with purpose and meaning. And number 15, be involved in your church. Uh, worship the Lord. Serve him. Learn. Be, be excited to learn from other people. Fellowship with believer, believers. Make friends there. The church should be a significant part of your life. And um, that sets you up to make church in Christ, a significant part of your life when you get married. And then 16, it just kind of goes in with some of the things we've already said, but have a growing relationship with the Lord. If you're stagnant in the Lord, you're not going to find a husband that has a growing relationship in the Lord. You'll probably find someone that's stagnant too. And that makes for a very stagnant relationship that ends up pretty much destroyed. So anyways, that's a long list. I hope you did have a pen and paper because you're probably going to forget those. But maybe that list seems overwhelming to you. Uh, but just think about them as parts of a Christian life. These, these are things that we should all be growing in. And notice how I didn't say be perfect at having a servant heart or be perfect at having a submissive heart. No, be someone who is developing that. And that's a process. You're not going to be perfect. You're not going to have arrived, but at least be working on it. And so let's just consider that these are our responsibilities as women. Um, and let's not complain that there aren't any eligible men until we've actually even worked on these things ourselves. Mm. And uh, for those of us that are married, let's, or maybe just older, maybe we never did get married. Uh, there is older women, maybe middle-aged women that never got married but are full of wisdom. Whether you're married or not, mentor the younger women, the daughters in our churches to, to do these things, to be growing in these things so that if she does get married, she's going to be ready and she's going to be ready to benefit her husband. But even if she doesn't, she is going to be a huge blessing in the kingdom of God. And um, we need to mentor them by teaching them, by modeling it to them, by encouraging them. And then also when we see it in them, let's affirm it in their lives so that they know that we've noticed and that they're doing well. They're on the right track. Girls, Every, well, we all need a bit of encouragement once in a while. So let's be sure to notice these things, not just be barking down each other's throat saying, hey, you need to be doing this or you need to be doing that. But hey, many are doing this well. So let's encourage one another. And I might have given you a list, but let's not view these as legalism. And actually, Pastor Aaron just um, preached a sermon this Sunday. And one of the things that I really appreciated was how he described legalism and um just because there's a list of things that we are working on doesn't mean we're legalists. In fact, they're just ways that help us to be 
uh, growing in our devotion to the Lord. And that's what we want, right? We want to be people who are fully devoted to the Lord. And this is just a practical list that helps us to get there. I love this list. I think it's a great, um, a great guide, maybe, for, for women to follow. And I wish that I had a list like this in my younger days. And, yeah, I could have used it, know, too. <laughs> it would have saved a lot of heartache and, and arguments. And um, yeah, but, but I think this is a great, um, a great way, as married women, we can mentor the younger generation with these things as well as um, seek them for our, our own lives. All right. Well, back to the verse. Um, she does him good all the days of her life, but she does him good. This is an active and not a passive phrase. And Susie, you've been in women's, women's ministry for a good amount of time. Have you seen some examples of wives actively benefiting their husbands in strong, time-tested marriages, and what has stood out to you as good examples of this? Yeah, well, absolutely, and I, I love how you defined the word does as being an active, not a passive phrase. And I was thinking maybe that's a little bit of a teacher coming out in you, uh, but that's great. I love that, and I think you're very right um, in saying that as much as some women... Um, you know, the fact that we have to consider it to be an active thing. Because once again, I think some women have this princess mentality where they think they can just sit on the couch and look all beautiful like a beauty model. And if that's who they are, they are benefiting their husband. Uh, they are eye candy for him. And that's their purpose in life. And yeah, you know why? Like, that is such a shallow view of our role as women and and our role to benefit our husband. We're so much more than that. We are not just uh, something to look at. At the same time, I do want to say we, we should take care of ourselves and we should steward the body that God has given us. And in fact, I would say if we aren't taking care of our bodies, we're actually violating the image of God because God has called us to be image bearers. So yes, I'm all for taking care of our bodies and in looking pretty and, and proper and clean and hygienic and and that's all a good thing. Um, but doing our husband good, being active in that requires us to be more intentional and to be sacrificial and to work at it. We, we do have to be active. And so uh, some ways that a woman can actively benefit her husband, and uh, these are biblical things, but things that I've also seen in some women that I respect and one of them is that they speak well of their husbands in public. And um, it's so valuable for him to hear that you are speaking well of him. It's a good example to other women because as women, we can get so gossipy and complainy and, you know, start talking about the things that annoy us about our husbands. And it's actually really sad that it can become that so quickly. So speak well of him in, in public and uh, let him hear that. That's a great way to honor him. Um, don't use the public forum to express your concerns and frustrations that you're not willing to deal with him in private, right? 
um, speak well of him. And then number two, they also praise him and affirm him in private. You see, uh, it's great to be able to publicly say that, but do you actually tell your husband personally what you appreciate him for and the things that you believe he's doing well? And then it could be said, if you only praise him in public, is it for show? Is it real? And I think social media can be huge with that. People who will, you know, post these pictures of this perfect looking marriage or a perfect looking vacation, perfect family, and it looks like they've got it all together only to realize that in in the privacy of their own home, it's actually a disaster. Uh, So practice praising him not just publicly, but also privately. He needs to hear that from you. And as a wife, uh, sometimes we may forget this, maybe because we have this tendency for insecurity or inferiority, whatever it might be, but the most important person to praise your husband is you. So I think we need to work on that. I I know I do. And then number three, um, deal with conflict quickly, including being quick to forgive. And some people are really good at that. I think that's fantastic. They talk about things like right away. Uh, I tend to hold off and, and linger and think through it. And um, But I think we should be quick at it. It's, it's um, better. That way it, it doesn't give you the opportunity for bitterness to take root, right? So deal with it quickly. Number four, communicate with him rather than living independently. Some women are natural at being um, leaders. They are very gifted and qualified and and they could do anything that their husband could do and don't need his input. But you know what? Get his input anyways. I I admire women who are, are willing to do that and to slow down and to wait for her husband if that is the case to show that she actually trusts his leadership. And then a four, uh, number five is to submit to him rather than dominate him. And some women will have more dominating personalities, but I've seen it done really well where the woman actually has a naturally more dominant personality, but she chooses to follow the lead of her husband. And so just because the husband has a more passive personality by nature and the wife has a more dominant personality by nature, doesn't mean that she has to be the one dominating. You just have to be very aware of that and choose to fulfill your role. Uh, and so, yeah, I find it a, a, so impressive when I see that and when I know, oh, you know what? She's she's the dominant one, but look at her follow. I think that's so, so impressive. And then, of course, um, women who serve their husbands, who are happy to live their lives serving their husbands. That's beautiful. Um, Serving is part of all of our lives. Some women do that exceptionally well. I think that's beautiful. And then number seven, women who live and dress modestly because the sure way to remove trust and to get a bad reputation is to dress immodestly or behave flirtatiously. And let's just face it, not all women, just because they're married, doesn't mean that they always dress modestly. And you can very quickly get a reputation. So I just encourage women to really consider that. Let's not get lazy. And I know we talk about this occasionally, 
and, you know, maybe the winter isn't the most needed time for this conversation, but I think it needs to be an ongoing conversation. We can easily get complacent about this and think, oh, it's not a big deal, or this this outfit isn't that bad, or, oh, well, nobody said anything in a while, so I guess I can start dressing that way again. No, like, you don't want your husband to have a reputation for having an immodest wife. And, and then behaving flirtatiously. There's some women that just are more flirtatious than other women. And um, so we have to be careful about that, right? Like flipping of the hair or, you know, batting of the eyelashes or that, that smile. Uh, we want to be smiling people, but there's that smile, you know? <laughs> uh, so be careful about that. Don't get the reputation of being flirtatious or immodest. That will definitely not be a benefit to your husband. Maybe in his, maybe in his, you know, humanity in his flesh, he might feel proud at the moment, but it's not going to um, encourage him to actually trust you. So in the long run, it doesn't actually benefit you. And it might actually cause him to view you more as his sex mate than his helpmate mm -hmm. and his wife of, of noble character. And so, yeah, just a few things. Um, what I was thinking though, is that, um, many women do well at these seven things that I've listed, uh, most strive for that. And yet there's some difficult situations. There's difficult times. And some of you might be asking, but what if he doesn't do good to me, right? Like if your husband is generally loving you sacrificially, it's a lot easier to do the mm -hmm. things that I just listed, but sometimes he doesn't. Sometimes we're married. Some women are married to a difficult situation. Maybe her husband is not a believer or maybe he's a weak believer. Maybe he's an angry man and, and it's an area of his life he hasn't dealt with yet. Or maybe he, he's quick to, to give you put downs or criticisms and, or maybe he's just quiet and he just never says much to you. And you're like, I don't know what he thinks. I don't know if he thinks well of me. I don't know if he thinks I'm pretty. I, I just don't know because he just doesn't say anything. And so for you, I would still say, number one, you are still accountable to God for your part. So keep doing good to him even when it's not always reciprocated. And then secondly, and once again, it's not any particular order per se. We could rearrange these. Mm -hmm. um, but pray for him. It's hard to hate someone or resent someone that you're praying for. Uh, number three, pray for yourself. Uh, pray that you will have the right heart attitude, that you will have a humble heart, that you will be able to let go of bitterness if that's already sunk in, and then let go of that bitterness. And think more of him and how to serve him rather than how you are being or not being served. Uh, today in Bible study, Sandy, I know you were there too. It was a great illustration uh, that Lindsay, the teacher uh, for today, gave us. It, um, it was something that I immediately knew was very usable. And she was giving an illustration about a friend who had been going through a hard time and... Uh, was frustrated. Like, why was the situation in her life not changing? And so she decided to go to the Lord and spend some time with him. And she, she realized, you know what? She is not capable of 
changing her husband or her children or whatever the bad situation was. And so if she can't change the situation, then God must want to change her. I thought, wow, how often do we think that when we actually are pointing the finger at the other person and he's not doing this and he's saying this and he's being mean and he's being angry and he's being rude and he doesn't serve me, he doesn't help me, he's not available, he's always busy, he's a workaholic or whatever the complaint might be. And yet, maybe God wants to change you. That's that's challenging. That's powerful. And so I just encourage all of you, all of us, the next time we're frustrated and things aren't changing or going the way we'd like them to, maybe instead of saying that person needs to be changed, ask yourself, like, how does God want to change me? Um, I do need to finish by saying that there are cases where you should seek help in a, in a tough marriage situation. Uh, I encourage you to start by talking to God about it. And then if possible, talk to your husband about this difficult situation. And I say if possible, because not if it's a really bad situation, maybe you can't actually talk to him without suffering severe consequences. But then go to your small group leader. And um, if necessary, the next step would be go to the, a counselor in your church or an elder in your church and get the help that you need. Thanks, Susie. Yeah. Um, just hearing just hearing that list of what if he doesn't do me good, you know, this is this is kind of the culture that we're in, right? It's it's um, a me culture. And you know, this verse that we're looking at is it is so contrary to our current um, worldview that that we're living in, just like you know, in one of our previous podcasts, when you Googled the excellent woman and it, and it changed your word to powerful or, or successful, uh, the worldview of this verse could be that it is limiting to women or it's oppressive to women. In contrast to what we read in the Bible, we're constantly being fed messages about self-love, self-acceptance, self-empowerment. Um, can you speak into this and help dispel the myth that we must find our inner strength or perfection to be fulfilled? Absolutely. We, we do live in a culture that has replaced God's love with self-love. And when you think about it, like what a foolish concept. How could we as flawed, broken, and selfish human beings ever think that we could satisfy satisfy ourselves with our flawed and broken and selfish ability to love. And so I decided to once again Google some popular self-love messages of today. And uh, so we'll talk about those and see how they compare to the perfect, endless love of our Lord. So of course, one of them that came up was make yourself a priority. But what does Jesus say? Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loves his life for, or loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? And that's found in Matthew. I'm sorry, I didn't actually write down the chapter. Um, 
but very clearly we're, we're to deny ourselves. It's not about us. And then secondly, in Philippians 2 verse 3, it says, do nothing, nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Yike, yikes. Like that does not <laughs> fit culture. And then let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Uh, that's Philippians 2, 3, and 4. And then one more, Romans 12, 9 to 10 says, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Like that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to be outdoing others, showing them honor rather than just thinking of ourselves. And that doesn't mean we're going to be self-damaging or hate ourselves. No, like, of course, we're, we're caring for ourselves, but let's not make it about us. We're, it's, we aren't the priority. The mission of God is the priority. And then secondly, loving others is the priority. And then another uh, self-love message that I found was, it says, what you're looking for is not out there, it's in you. So as if you are the God, the God is mm -hmm. within you. Um, but what does the Bible say? Where should we be looking? Uh, Psalm 119.6 says, Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. And Proverbs 119 verse no, sorry, that should say Psalm 119.15 says, I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. And then James 4 verse 8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Very clearly, we're not to look inside of us. We're to look to the Lord and his ways. And that's where we're going to find true love and joy and satisfaction and answers. And then another self-love phrase that I found was to fall in love with yourself is the first secret to happiness. Sounds so sentimental and good. And yet, what does Psalm 1611 say? It says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And then... Matthew 22, 36 and verse 38 says, Teacher, which are the greatest commandments in the law? And he said to me, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest commandment. And so the secret to happiness is not to love ourselves or to fall in love with ourselves, but to love the Lord and enjoy being in his presence. That's where we're going to find joy. And then there is one more that I, I found, and it's it's kind of a longer phrase, but um, it said, the ability to feel love and compassion for one's own well-being and happiness, being at peace with one's strengths and weaknesses, and knowing that you are enough just the way that you are. Um, it's kind of a run-on sentence there, but... I Googled it. That was from Google. That was not my own sentence. Um, but it's very self-focused, like one's own well-being and one's own strengths and weaknesses, that you are enough just the way that you are. It's 
it's such a distorted view of, of how we are to live. Mm-hmm. Because Ephesians 2.1 says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. That's who we are. Uh, Colossians 2.13 says something similar. And you were who were dead in your trespasses, in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him having forgiven us all our trespasses. You see, there's nothing good about us. There's nothing even alive about us apart from God. And yet somehow self-love phrases try to say that we are enough and that we're to look out for our own well-being and happiness. It, it doesn't work that way. Uh, Ephesians 5.1 also says... Um, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Very clearly, we can't look to ourselves for love. Love love comes from the Lord, and he's the one that perfectly loved us. And to love perfectly then is to love like Christ did, and that means he, he gave himself up, and that means we need to give ourselves up to be able to love others. First uh, John 1, 19 also says, we love because he first loved us. We know how to love when we understand God's love for us. And we have to recognize that he is the only one that has that perfect love. And so first of all, if we're going to learn to love, we need to learn from him. And, and secondly, why try to be satisfied in our own love? We're only going to fail ourselves. If we're looking out for ourselves, we're going to leave ourselves feeling very empty, very alone, very disappointed. We will never be satisfied. The world likes to tell us, look out for yourself, make yourself a priority, like I just said. And, you know, uh, just know that you are enough. And, and yet we try those things. We attempt feeling that way. But we're always left disappointed. We're always left wanting because we are not enough. We we cannot make ourselves a priority because if we do, we just feel so empty and we're always searching for more and in looking for it in, in, in more and more or more places that lead us even more and more astray rather than just going to the one who loves us perfectly. And so self-love does not give what it promises. It does not give us satisfaction. It does not leave us feeling loved. It's only when we know the love of God that we can truly know that we are loved. Yeah. And, you know, we see in 1 John 4, 8 that God is love. And the world tells us that love is love. No, the Bible says God is love. And a life apart from God is in so many ways fruitless, it's empty, ultimately it's unfulfilling. Our God is the source of every good and perfect gift. And uh, that's from James chapter 1. And the verse before says, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. And I think we have been so deceived. But being in His will, following in obedience and in faithfulness will produce much fruit especially over time. Well, we hope that you have been encouraged today. I know I have, and um, that you are better equipped to live out biblical womanhood. Thank you so much for joining us. God bless you.